Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. As we focus on the Lord today, probably a little different um, message than you normally hear on Christmas or the Sunday before Christmas, I should say. And 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, it says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul is writing, I remember who I was. I remember what I was before I met Jesus. And we need to remember that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Probably one of the most popular songs at this time of year is White Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And many people at this time of year think of all the beauty of Christmas. And there's a lot of beauty. I mean, we decorate, we put up everything, we make everything look so beautiful. We're surrounded by the beauty, the lovely trees, the bright lights, the decorations, the ornaments, the candles, the wreaths, the snow scenes. We don't have much snow. We have snow scenes. We have warm fireplaces, a hearth and a family home, beautifully wrapped presents. Everything is just perfect. And you add to that the movies that we watch. Now, I know we're mad at the Hallmark Channel. That's a whole nother issue. But for a moment, have you noticed on the Hallmark movies, Christmas movies, how everything is perfect? Perfect. All the decorations are perfect. The timing is perfect. It always ends the same. Always. They kiss, it snows, and the credits roll. Am I not right? I even watched one where it snowed inside the building when they kissed. Time is perfect. Everything's perfect. It's all beautiful. But you know what, folks? There's something about Christmas that is ugly. There's another side. There are several ways we could approach that side. And we could talk about a dark night in a small village in outside of Jerusalem called Bethlehem where a young woman gave birth to a baby in the most unsanitary conditions. Can you imagine in a place where livestock is kept, the stench, the smell, the manure? We could talk about the ugliness of a man named Herod who, because of his paranoia and his insanity, had all the babies in that region, all the baby boys in that region killed. We could talk about an indifferent population in Jerusalem, didn't care enough to even go check out this newborn king. But did you know there's something even beyond that? It's lurking behind every person. And, and I want you to know that this is going to end on a positive note, but for a little bit, it's going to be real ugly. Because there's an ugly side to it. 
Even our Christmas songs mention it. Oh, holy night, we're reminded that the world was in sin and error, pining, wasting away until our Savior appeared and the soul felt its worth. In God rest ye merry gentlemen, the tidings of comfort and joy come from knowing that Jesus Christ our Savior was born to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. And even our song, In the Hark, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, we learn that only through the newborn king can God and sinners be reconciled. And the carols that we sing at Christmas remind us that Jesus Christ came to die as the perfect sacrifice. In the second verse of What Child Is This? we find these lyrics, nails, spear shall pierce him through, the cross be born for me and for you. The last verse of the first Noel reiterates the point, then let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord who hath made heaven and earth of naught and with his blood mankind was bought. In Matthew 1, 21, we read these very familiar words, and she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their what? Sin. And 1 John 3, 5 says, and you shall know that he was manifested to take away our sins. 1 John 4, 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father sent the Son as the Savior of the world in 1 Timothy 1.15 that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. So folks, there's two sides to Christmas. And in order for you to appreciate the beauty of Christmas, you first must understand the ugly side. Sin, it is the ugly side. The dark and ugly side is sin. The heart of Christmas is this, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan writer, said, sin has turned beauty into deformity, and the wicked takes more care to have their sin covered than cured. Men are much more prone to excuse their sin than to examine it. And it is so fitting that at this time of year when men would cover up their sin with all the beauty of Christmas, that for just a second we tear the covering off and look at the ugliness behind why Jesus came. I'm not mad about Christmas. I love this time of year. But in order for you to appreciate it, you need to understand why he came. And we take it for granted. We've been hearing this story for so long, we just take for granted. Yeah, if, you see, if there were no sin, there would be no Christmas. There would be no need for Christmas. Sin from no, no one escapes sin. All who die in childbirth or who die from heart disease or cancer or war or murder or accidents or old age or whatever else causes a person to die it's because of sin. The wages of sin is death. And you see, every person on the globe is going to die because we've all been affected, infected by sin. And because of that, 
It's the reason for Christmas. Every broken marriage, every disrupted home, every shattered friendship, every argument, every evil thought, every evil word or deed can be attributed to sin. And as ugly as it is, we're going to look at it for just a moment. First of all, let's talk about the classification of sin. 1 John 3, 4 says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Actually, the Greek text is written in such a way, it says sin equals lawlessness, and lawlessness equals sin. It's living as if there were no God. It's living as if there were no law, no authority, no standard, just like people are living today. We're surrounded by it. People live any way they want to. And sin says God is not in charge. And then they live beyond the boundaries that God has set. Listen, it's thinking and behaving and speaking as if there is no God. And I want you to understand something. God gave us his rules, his law, his parameters, his standard for a reason. And listen to this. In his giving us of the law and giving us of his boundaries, even as believers, did you know there is nothing impure, nothing unfair, or nothing wrong? It is holy and just and good. All that God has told us to do is all good. And yet, there's no sane reason to violate what God has given to us except the fact that we desire to live our own lives and to go our own way and to be our own boss and to not have any authority over us. We've candy-coated it today. We have. We don't think we sin anymore. And all sin is lawlessness. A young lady came to her pastor and confessed. She said, I think I have incurred the sin of vanity. And the pastor said, what makes you think that? And she said, because every morning when I look in the mirror, I think how beautiful I am. He said, never fear, my girl. That isn't a sin. That's a mistake. (laughs) The fact is, all of us have sinned. What is the characterization of sin? What's it about? What's the nature of sin? What are the properties? You need to understand that sin, no matter how small it is, is detestable to God. First of all, sin is defiling. It is what rust is to precious metal. It's what scars are to a lovely face. It's what stain is to silk cloth. It's what smog is to a blue sky. It's a defiling thing. It makes the soul red with guilt and black with evil. Second, 1 Kings 8.38 says the sin of man's heart is compared to oozing sores of a deadly plague. Zechariah 3.3 compares it to filthy garments. It stains the soul and blots out the image of God. According to Zechariah 11.8, it makes God detest the sinner. And according to Ezekiel 20 verse 43, when a sinner sees his own sin, it makes him despise himself. It defiles us. It pollutes us. It mars everything we touch. 
That's why Paul wrote in 1st and 2nd Corinthians 7, 1, they calls it the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Thomas Goodwin, the Puritan, wrote, sin is called poison, sinners, serpents. Sin is called vomit, sinners, dogs. Sin is called the stench of graves, sinners, rotten sepulchers. Sin is called mire, sinners, pigs. And of all that speaks of defilement. It's ugly. Not only does it defile, it is defiant. Leviticus 26, 27 says, God speaks of those who choose to walk in opposition. It's defying God. Sin says, I'll do what I want to, God. I don't care what you say. I don't care that you said to do this. I'm going to live my way. I defy you. In fact, in Psalm 12, 4, it says, our lips are our own. Who is the Lord over us? We say what we want. We don't accept his authority. We rule. The very word pasha in the Hebrew for sin signifies rebellion. I don't care what you say, God. Sin not only would unthrone God, it would ungod God if they could. I don't care who you are. Sinner had his way, there'd be no God. It's defiant. The third thing, it is detached. Acts 17, 28, the Bible says, in him, that is in God, in him, we live and move and have our being. You wouldn't be here today if it weren't for God allowing you to be here. God gives you the next breath. God lets your heart keep beating. And yet, without God, you were created with God by God. You live and breathe because he's made you and made the whole world. And yet, sin says, I don't care. I don't appreciate it. It's called ingratitude. I am detached. It dethrones God. It destroys the one who gave us all that we have. That's the nature of sin. You, you wouldn't begin to think to render evil towards somebody who'd done something to save your life in a heroic act, and yet people who strike defiant blows in the face of God have basically said, I don't appreciate what you've given me. I am detached from you. You may claim to give me everything I have, but I am completely detached from you. And, and ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you this. Do we see our nation that way? Now, you're not that way. I know that. You wouldn't be here today. Now, it may be a couple of you that are here because your relatives drug you in here. <laughs> I had a drug problem when I was little. They drug me to church every week. But the fact is, we live with ingratitude. We've detached ourselves from God. It also... Is deadly. You can't cure it. It's humanly incurable. Jeremiah 13, 23, the prophet said, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Now that's a rhetorical question that says no, means no. And he goes on to say, then may you also do good that are accustomed to doing evil. In other words, just like there are things about us that we cannot humanly change, you cannot change the fact that you are a sinner. You cannot do righteousness on your own. 
And so Christians, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. There's no other cure for sin other than Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. God put our sin on him. The wages of sin is death. Somebody had to die. The perfect person had to die. Jesus Christ came to die for us. He was born of a virgin, indicating that his bloodline didn't come from an earthly father. Because if it had, he would have been born with a sinful nature. Sin is also detestable. It's the only thing that God hates. God does not resist a man because he's poor. He doesn't resist a man because of his abilities or inabilities or if he's ignorant or ill or despised by the world or has limited ability. There's only one thing that alienates a person from God and that's sin. That's it, sin. That alienates us from God. It's also difficult. Sin is hard. We always think it's so easy. Proverbs 13, 15 says, good understanding gauge favor, but the way of the transgressor, the way of the unfaithful is hard. Have you noticed all it causes is pain and suffering and difficulty and separation and heartache? It looks so good. Oh, it doesn't matter what God said. I'm going to do this anyway. And then they get to the end of their life and they're going, how did I get here in the first place? Because it's so difficult. <laughs> they, they saw three wrinkled old codgers sitting on a park bench. They decided to interview them. First one. What do you do for amusement and how old are you? He said, I play checkers and I'm 91 years old. Second question, same second person. What do you do for amusement and how old are you? He said, I play chess and I'm 95. The third one, they said, what do you do for amusement and how old are you? He said, I drink three pints of whiskey a day. I smoke five packs of cigarettes and I stay out all night. And the reporter said, how old are you? And he said, 27. <laughs> you see the marks of sin on people. We've seen the classification. It's lawlessness. We see the characterization. We see what it does. I also want you to be reminded of the comprehensiveness of it because Romans 5.12 says, as in Adam, all died. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all infected with it. No one is immune. No one. Not even the Pope. There's nobody immune. Adam came, I read something funny this week, by the way, just to give you a little break here. It said, if Adam and Eve had been Cajuns, they would have eaten the snake and saved us a whole lot of trouble. (laughs) 
But the fact is, they didn't eat that snake, did they? And they sinned because of it. Some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Read Genesis chapter 3. A man and his wife are watching a TV talk show about male and female relationships when the wife suddenly turned to her husband and said, you know, the trouble with men today is they don't want to admit their faults. Her husband said, yeah, I know, and I would admit mine if I had any. (laughs) Original sin in Adam contaminated the entire human stream. If you look at your life, you want to know whether or not you're a sinner? Here's how you can tell. You ever been sick? Are you growing older? Have you ever been ill? You have any aches and pains? Are you going to die? That's an indication right there. You see, comprehensively, all of us are infected. And even when we become Christians, still sin is a reality. What are the consequences? Make no mistake about it, folks. There are consequences. First of all, people are controlled I have to confess to you, I forget this sometime. Sin causes evil to overpower people. It turns a person into a victim of evil. Evil dominates the mind. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Ephesians chapter 4 says that the mind is dark, that the mind is alienated, that the life of God is absent. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we cannot understand the things of God. And in Romans chapter 1, the mind is reprobate. In other words, sin has dominated the mind and the thinking process so that people live the way they live. Look at the society around us. We wonder, how can somebody be so evil? How can somebody be so demented? And we know why. Evil dominates even the affections. Men love darkness rather than light. Their loves and their affections and their wishes and their desires and their longings are all those things which are not right. They are being controlled Not only that, it captures people. Sin brings us under the dominance of Satan. Jesus even said, you're of your father, the devil. Ephesians chapter 2, it says that the sinner walks and lives according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit working in the children of disobedience. Oh, but I'm so free. I can do what I want. I want to tell you, the only person who's free to be what God wants them to be is the person who's been set free through Jesus Christ. He said, I have come to take the captives and set them free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Not only are we controlled and cursed and captured, but we're cursed. It subjects a person to all the miseries of life. Sin brings the worst of all there is on the individual. Job chapter 5 verse 7, man is born unto trouble and trouble becomes his name. Trouble's everywhere. Sin is deceptive. 
It's told as a true story, but a fellow was rushing around trying to get a few errands taken care of before heading home for dinner and running late. He dashed into a store and he left the keys in his car and he came back out and his car was gone, been stolen. Well, he had to call his wife to come pick him up and they fumed the rest of the evening. But the next morning, his car was in the driveway and there was a note attached to it that said, sorry about the car. I had an emergency and had to have it. Here are the keys and two tickets to the Dallas Cowboy game this Sunday. <laughs> he dropped his jaw. He couldn't believe his eyes. So he dashed into the house. He said, guess what, honey? We're going to the game. First time we'll ever get to see the Cowboys play. And they were ecstatic. They went to the game. They arrived home Sunday night, opened the door, and the house was cleaned out. nothing left. That's how sin is. You see, sin will deceive you. It'll pull you in with its charm and clean you out. Walter Wengerin Jr. wrote, my denial of sin protects, preserves, and perpetuates that sin. Ugliness in me while I live in illusions can only grow the uglier. It also condemns people. The final result of sin is that it condemns people to hell. I'm not going to pull any punches. We know that we're going to die physically as a result of sin, but there's a second death that Jesus talked about, and Jesus is the one that brought up the subject. And then the prophets picked up, or the apostles picked it up, and continued it. He said the second death, the first death is separation of the spirit from the body. We go to be with Jesus if you know Jesus. The second death is separation from God in eternity. And if you don't believe me, just read Revelation chapter 20 at the great white throne judgment where people whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire forever. Spurgeon said, man is hanging over the mouth of hell by a solitary plank and the plank is rotten. That is the frailty of sin. Folks, do you get the picture? I know it's a heavy, heavy message, but as we prepare our hearts to observe the Lord's Supper this morning, I'm afraid that we have so candy-coated it and so renamed it that we forget what sin is. But behind all this beauty of Christmas is the reason Jesus came. But salvation is the beautiful side of Christmas. See, the good news is God didn't leave us in this mire, in this sin. The beauty of Christmas is that Christ came into the world. He put on an earth suit. He put on flesh. He became one of us, the God-man. And who can understand the beauty of Christmas without the ugliness of it? That's why through all of this beauty, and, we, and you hear them singing songs about Christmas that don't have anything to do with Jesus. That's why there's still so many people so miserable. You know what? I, we took our, our grand, some of our grandkids are here in town, and we went down to see Santa at Cabela's. I happen to know those guys at Santa. I mean, at Cabela's. <laughs> And I got to talking to one of the Santas, the helpers, I should say. 
And I said, I bet you hear all kinds of things, don't you, said to them. And, and some of them are humorous. But then he said, but you know, I try to cheer up kids sometimes, and I try to get them to sing one of the Christmas carols with me. He said, you would be amazed at how many children have never heard away in a manger. They've never been told, never been taught right here in good old Lubbock, Texas. But you see, until you understand that your sin has separated you from God and that you had no hope, will you begin to appreciate the beauty of that baby in a manger who came for one reason, to die for our sin. At bedtime, Lillian Holcomb told her two grandsons a Bible story and then asked if they knew what the word sin meant. Seven-year-old Keith spoke up and he said, when you do something bad, it's sin. Four-year-old Aaron His younger brother said, I know a big sin that Keith did today. (laughs) And annoyed, Keith turned to his little brother and said, you take care of your sins and I'll take care of mine. (laughs) But I want you to know that you can't take care of your sin. Folks, listen to me. Never once have you ever heard me say, we're trying to make a Baptist out of you. We are Baptists because of the way we do missions and because of some of the beliefs we have. But we're all about Jesus. You do not have to join South Christ Baptist Church to have your sin taken care of. And being baptized does not take care of your sin. It doesn't wash away sin. It's a picture of what Jesus does in your life. Because when you turn from your sin and you realize, you know what? He's described my life today. And you say, God, I have no hope apart from you. And so I turn, I repent of my sin and come to you. And God, would you forgive me? I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe he lived a sinless life and died. I believe you put my sin on him. I believe he rose again. And Lord Jesus, I commit my life to you. And I give you my life. And folks, right then, God imputes to you, gives to you is what the word impute means. God covers you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He justifies you. It's a legal term that means to be put right with God. He reconciles you. He brings you to him. It's the beautiful part of it. But it would have never happened had there not been a baby in the manger. And he grew and was tempted in all points like you and me, yet without sin. And then willingly gave his life for you and me. That is the beauty of Christmas. And so when you look at that manger or that nativity scene, you think, if it hadn't been for him, I'd have no hope. Now, those of you who don't know Jesus, you can give your life to him today. If you're watching online, if you see this on television, you can give your life to him today. In fact, would you bow your heads right now with me in prayer? 
And if you've never received Christ, never committed your life to Jesus, oh, you've gone to church, but you've never committed your life to Christ, now's the time to do it. You ask God in a similar way as this, you're committing your life. You're not just praying a prayer. Heavenly Father, I know that I am a sinner. And my sin has separated me from you. I ask you now to forgive me of my sin. I believe in my heart that Jesus lived a sinless life and that he died for my sin on the cross, that he rose again, conquering death and sin, paying the price. And Lord Jesus, I commit my life to you right now. I give you my life. And for those of you who have committed your life to Jesus, you, you know you're a Christian in your mind. But as you prepare your heart to observe the Lord's Supper, would you confess any sin to him? Lord, we come with 1 John 1, 9 in mind that says if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you prepare your hearts right now to observe the real meaning and the real reason for Christmas? Lord, I pray for those today that need to give their life to you. And I pray for those today that need to return to you in fellowship for just a moment, just a moment. Amy's going to continue to play, and if I want you to pray and, and prepare your heart, and then we're going to observe the Lord's Supper, the communion. If you want one of these pastors to pray with you, they'll be glad to do that too. You to think about your sin and think about how Jesus has paid it all. He's covered it. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.